Hello, welcome to Mind and Movement, the podcast, where we discuss mindful movement through dance and through life. Today we have the incredible Danielle Moulton, someone who's been such an inspiration to me and has always encouraged me to become more powerful. I just really look up to her and so it's really fitting to me that she is the first guest of my podcast as she's somebody who really encouraged me to use my voice. We talk a lot about the authentic self, our process within getting there, and how to improve the dance community. I hope you enjoy my first podcast and thank you so much for listening. Now let's get right into it. Hello, welcome to Mind and Movement, the podcast. Today we have the great, amazing, wonderful Danielle Moulton. I'm gonna let you introduce yourself. So who are you? What is your background? Oh my gosh. Hello, my name is Danielle Moulton. I am 24 years old. I am Blackanese, that is Black and Japanese, that is how I identify. Um, and I'm a dancer, choreographer, teacher um, in the Southern California dance community. I had two of my own dance teams uh, pre-pandemic, um, and now we're sort of just uh, existing and trying to survive COVID-19. That's, that's, how, that's where we're at, so I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> Yay, thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's start with the word that always comes to my mind when I think about you is actually two words, charisma and power. So first of all, I want to ask, like, where does your what is power to you and where do you think your power comes Mm. from? Well, power to me, uh, I guess it works in both a stage sense and like a human sense, but somebody is most powerful when they're their authentic self Mm -hmm. um, and they truly own who they are. So I feel like even like comedians to me are so powerful when they own their humor, they own their personal experiences and shift them and turn them into something that can bring other people joy. Mm -hmm. I find so much power in that. Um, And even like I watch closers like for like, dance senses and I cry because I think it's so powerful to see a whole team come together for a common goal like those moments just I don't know they just they just do something to me so power to me is definitely either somebody owning their own authentic self and being unapologetic that is so powerful to me or it is a group of people coming together for a common goal so powerful Mm -hmm. That is amazing. What would you say that Mm -hmm. your authentic self is? Mm, My my authentic self is so weird. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm such a goofball. And this sounds so like, yeah, I'm such a goofball. I'm not like other girls. Like, no, no, no. Like, I'm really like, I don't know. I embrace my awkwardness um, because... I think it comes from when I was homeschooled or when I was in gymnastics, I was very antisocial, not by choice, um, but because that was the environment I was in. So I was always this kind of like 
trapped ball of energy that didn't know where to go with it and I had no one to share it with so now that I am able to connect with others that like inner child comes out so I honestly feel like my most authentic self is like my childish goofy self and that usually comes out within my movement when I'm the most comfortable so that's even with like wordplay or like the thing the way I choreograph like little words that I kind of catch the audience off guard like that's who I really am is I just kind of like a goofball in that way so yeah I think that's my most authentic self at least right now in the stage that we're at for the pandemic, that is definitely my most authentic self. (laughs) Love that. And it's honestly, because you're so authentic that I feel like you're so powerful, like really. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, okay. I think it's interesting that you say that you're awkward because Mm -hmm. you're definitely not that, at least not to me. And I'm sure (laughs) a bunch of people that interact with you, but I guess like, it, it kind of makes sense that you might have this idea of you being awkward because you've been homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you learned to embrace your awkwardness at some point? And maybe that's why it's not awkward. Mm, I think I had to. Yeah. Like I, I mean, that is kind of a tough story for me too, because going into high school, I was very antisocial and I quickly got into the role of the token black friend and like always being like ghetto or like loud and aggressive or like the class clown because I had nothing else to offer. And it was because that is the only lane that I saw available to me and I didn't know how to like uh navigate those waters especially because I was so antisocial so I was like this is the best avenue people are laughing and people like seem to be you know enjoying my company but it wasn't until later that I found out that people are laughing at me and not with me but that was something that I found that out in college like that was something that I had to realize very late in the game that it like uh I would make fun of myself before other people had the chance to And that kind of stunted my like want to show my authentic self. So I feel like I realized the authentic self that I had in high school, but I somehow subconsciously knew that that wasn't valued and that wasn't my role. Um, Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of code switch immediately. So I think it's, it's a complicated, like in, because I was able to finally connect with people I was able to find that inner child self that wanted to be expressive. But the way that that was interpreted was very tough because of the loud black girl stereotype that I found myself in, as most black girls do, Mm -hmm. if they choose, if they're an extrovert in that way. So I think I had to adapt to it because it was part of why people hung out with me, but it just wasn't for the right reasons. So I think I've switched it now that I'm an adult, um, into it really being my authentic self, but I kind of took back that power rather than it be like, I'm just a typical loud black girl that makes you laugh. Like it's more so like these experiences are what I've gone through and I have shifted them to make them either positive or I have found the the joy in them. And that is why we can laugh about it together. But I don't know. I feel like my authentic self happened in high school, but I had to just keep it under wraps for a long time until I like was able to regain that power for myself. Hmm. So for me to make sense of this, because I I don't know what that's like, are you kind of saying that like before 
the stereotype threat is like coming from your idea of other people's perception of you but now it's like you just step into yourself instead of worrying about what other people are thinking of you 100% because even within my authentic self like I am a loud black like that's who I am and I celebrate that now and I even in myself I don't find it negative before I would Mm. so it's I'm doing the same thing that I am still my authentic self but it's in an unapologetic way that like doesn't like mold me into that stereotype in the way that I I was in high school I was more so blindly doing it because like I feel like these people want to hear this from me but now I don't I don't give a damn if these people want to hear it from me I'm going to do it anyway and it could be the same but it just comes from a, a different and again more authentic place I love that I feel like that's such a hard like idea to capture because when I think about like internalized like misogyny on my end it's always like I don't want to like the color pink because you know pink is a girl color but now I'm like oh I actually like the color pink Mm -hmm. (laughs) right like there's nothing wrong with it yeah but by me hating pink it means that I'm being misogynistic (laughs) like what does that mean Right. It makes no sense, but it just resonates so much. Like, I feel that. Yeah. But thank you. Thank you for putting that um, perspective out there, because I feel like that's something that I feel like people have questions about. You know, it's like, yeah, for sure. It's like, oh, if I have uh, these stereotype biases towards people um, and they act that way, like, why is it okay for them to act that way, even though my, you know, like my my idea of them is correct, but why is it offensive Mm. that's my life in a nutshell so I'm sorry that's (laughs) hey you know it it may be the person who I am today so I am able to you know crack these jokes because I do have that type of experience but I think it comes more so that I'm protecting myself rather than protecting my image of myself from other people like I'm truly looking out for myself rather than what I think people should feel about me or look at me as so growth in different ways I love that do you have like a specific moment when you felt that shift like you stopped caring about what other people thought of you and then you just were yourself um this honestly (laughs) how you know what yeah we're going there so honestly I don't think I've gotten there yet because I think the closest I've gotten to is right now in the pandemic. So I guess I'll break it down in different different ways because there was the time when I decided to make my own team that there was a certain part of me that was like, I, re- I really could not care what people think. Of course, I cared what people think. I wanted them to join my team. So there's that kind of weird balance there. And then I think when Vimo or when Vimo went to Worlds the first year, I was like, (laughs) I don't care. Like it was more so like a a fake way. And it was kind of one of those fake it till you make it. Like that moment defined me or validated me in a way that I was like, (laughs) maybe I am good at this. So there was that feeling of, well, I don't really care what you have to say, but it wasn't productive. It was more so like, I don't want to hear what you have to say because I want to stay in this moment. Mm. So I wouldn't say it's more so like it it was in a positive way. 
And then even now um, in the pandemic, like I'm finally finding myself as a person and no longer looking to people to validate me as a dancer. Like I, I don't need people to tell me, oh my God, you're doing great. Like I know that I'm working hard. I know that I'm doing what I need to do. So I can back myself up in a dance sense. But even like today, <laughs> wow, today I was writing my journal. And one of the things that I'm like trying to release is my need for male validation. Oof. It's something that really has a hold on me. And like, not to be all like deep and going back, but like my, my dad wasn't present in my life. So I feel like I have always been chasing a male figure. I have always wanted a male to tell me good job. I like it, it is crippling to me. And I, I'm realizing that now that a lot of the things that I did were because people told me I couldn't do it, but it was more so because males told me I couldn't. So I felt like if I did it, they would like me. It's this very, very messed up thing that I am now realizing in myself is a lot of the things that I do are for ma male validation. And that makes me upset. So that is why I say not yet, because I think once I free myself from chasing male validation with my own accomplishments, that I'll finally be free. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Like, this is, this is my journal, right? Like you can read it verbatim. Like that is the conversation I was having with myself this morning and that I've been kind of stewing on, but yeah, that, that is my journey to relieve myself of that. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. that. That was a lot. Wow. I feel like this was something that I also thought of like in the beginning of the pandemic where like I was starting to accept myself and then certain situations with a guy happened and mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then it just brought back like all this trauma and right. I realized that even though I like have more confidence in myself like as a person or a self-worth as a person I still wanted to be validated like Oh, I've never been in a relationship before. So it's like, oh, mm -hmm. same, same. Yep. I want to be like a perfect girlfriend. And like, I want to be, I want to be sexy, to, but like sexy for the male eye. For men. Yeah. For, for the male gaze. Oh yeah. my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Like what? And I, I remember I was actually in Amor's class, like right before the pandemic and um, she did a Rihanna song. And I just remember being there like, wow, my whole time, like, I think I think about it as a performance and that I'm going to pretend to play a character that's sexy. And then like in my head, I was like, why do I just not think of myself as sexy? Like, that's so weird. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Male uh, trauma. Fully resonate. <laughs> right. Honestly. And it's really traumatizing with the work that we both do and like uplifting females and honestly telling them like you don't need to be validated by men but yet like this feeling is so paralyzing because it's not something it's almost generational that we're working against right now and systematic that we're working against so it's not like I think it's also beautiful that this type of dialogue can happen we can fully like promote 
feminine power and, you know, um, women being powerful and rising up, but also acknowledge that there is some longing to be accepted and validated and more so supported by men, not just gazed at. Like, I want Mm -hmm. support from men rather than their validation. But in order to get their support, their validation is the first thing you need to get. Mm -hmm. And usually that goes with surface level things like your body, your face your voice, these things that make women feel like shit. So it's a full circle, almost like infinity sign of bullshit that we have to go through. But it's real. It's a thing Like the feminists can want male attention or male validation in that way and feel some type of way about not getting it, but still advocate for females to be independent and have power. Like that's that these are conversations that need to happen because I think the silencing of these conversations is what makes women feel so alone and so paralyzed. So I'm glad that we can even talk about it. Oh my gosh. Thank you for that. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I definitely feel like I've never been able to say anything. Me, like literally, that's why before I was like, am I going to go there right now? Yeah. I literally like looked at my journal. I was like, are we going? Yeah. I've never talked about this with anybody really. So I, but wow. this is something that I, really have been thinking about or like wondering like why do I do this because as I'm getting more comfortable with myself and like truly loving myself for who I am I kind of see these patterns of like I could feel so great about myself but if one guy doesn't text me or like if a guy looks at my Instagram story but doesn't text me back all of a sudden my work is bullshit what where is that coming from and that's why I'm like I know I'm in that cycle So I want to relieve myself of it. It's not like I'm over here like, I want a boyfriend. I want a boyfriend. Like, I'm sure it'd be great. Uh, You know, Valentine's Day is coming up. It it would be nice. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it would be on and popping. But that's not the feeling that I'm chasing. I'm not chasing having someone extra in my life. It's more so like I want to be seen by somebody who is a male because that feels like an experience I should have had by this age and I feel like left out or I wonder like I don't think I've ever experienced true love or romantic love in that way in a way that I felt was reciprocated so I feel like I would be happier or more creative or all these things so I feel like there's a part of myself that I haven't experienced that only somebody else can unlock and I know that's not true but I'm gonna have to you know do the work to undo that and that is what we're in the middle of so I guess to think about like your process of breaking out of this cycle, what do you think like you have to do to like break Break out out of it? Right. Well, number one, I got Brene Brown's book. Hey. (laughs) Okay. It says Braving the Wilderness, the quest for true belonging and the courage to stand alone. I said, whoa, that's me. Uh, So definitely reading that. Uh, But in a more practical sense, I feel like social media is something I need to cut back on because it's definitely something I use to gauge if my work is good enough. But again, it's always the male gaze that I care about. It, 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 it irks me now. Like before I'm like, this motivates me. Like, eh." but like now I'm like, ew, what? Like I could give a, like, that's weird. So now I feel more so like creating work for myself is the only way for me to do this, especially with dance. Like before 
it, it was so stupid, but I would say like, I cared more about dance than I did my own rights or like my own level of respect that I would allow people to give me. I would like proudly say this before the pandemic. I'm like, somebody can disrespect me in a relationship or in my personal life. And that's totally fine. But if they mess with Vimo, if they mess with my art, it's over. I can cut you off easy. And it was because of that, that I never made pieces just for myself. I only made pieces if I had to. I only made pieces if I was going to show somebody. I only made, I never created just for myself. So now during this pandemic, I'm creating these pieces that I know nobody is going to see, that they are just for me and myself and getting to enjoy that and seeing the process of like, yeah, like you did that one move, but you finally got like really validating it for myself is helping me in that process, at least for my dance portion. And I know that once I solidify that, I'll be able to bleed that into my personal life as most things in my life happen. Cause you know, dance is up here and my personal view is here, but we're balancing it out. So once I figure out kind of how to make pieces for myself or like even do things that nobody is going to see that I can be okay with, I think that's the first step in, you know, breaking away from that and then realizing that like men ain't shit. Yes. So I don't know why I'm trying to impress them when they have very much little to offer at this moment for me. That's kind of like where I'm at. I'm going to more so, it, and it sounds so cliche, like love yourself first before, like how many times have I fucking heard that? You have to, like, it's either love yourself before, like, okay, I'm doing that. Or it's like, well, like it's going to come when you least expect it. Like you can't be searching, like, okay. I hate but that. you're, that's very, that's so easy for you to say when you're in a very loving relationship or when you have like 14 guys knocking down your door, it's very easy for you to say when you're not looking, they're going to, okay. And you're also white and blonde. Oof. So like, like, I don't, you know what I mean? So there's so many factors that go into it, but I know that there's part of me that understands the truth in that, that I still have so much to work on and, I'm getting to a point where it, not in like a hopefully not conceited sense, but I'm like, I don't think any man has earned the right to experience me and my joy right now at this time, mm-hmm. even though that's what I want. Like I want, I just want somebody to, you know, like people get good morning texts. What the fuck? <laughs> like, y'all, really, y'all really wake up and these males be like good morning. Like, whole I've never gotten a good morning like whole like that is a whole new like I don't I can't even fathom it but I'm I'm gonna have to do that for myself or I'm gonna treat the people in my life who I love in that way like the same I have to treat people the way that I would want to be treated so that is even in the way like audio messages like I audio message you all the time I audio message a bunch of my close friends because that is the love that I want to receive in that way, but I don't have that type of avenue. So I'm not going to waste my time audio messaging a straight cis male that is going to leave me on red for two days. I'm going to audio message my friends that audio message me minutes back and we can have beautiful conversations. So I'm going to have to find that in other people and in other ways so I can experience that hidden part of myself that I feel like can only be unlocked if I have a boyfriend like girl you'll be okay you have 
friends, you have family, you have people that you can definitely love in that way. And then once you figure that out in yourself, then I guess apparently Casper the ghost is going to come out and propose to me when I'm least expecting it, which is, which pisses me off. Cause like I'm a planner. So I need to expect these things. Like I can't be in my bag and then you come up in here like, Hey, I've been chasing you for the past four years. Like get the fuck out. I'm trying to choreograph a tour. Fuck you. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm just, I'm just really upset. And like, yeah. Uh, can my brain not expect it in a pandemic? Cause like, what else am I going to do? Like, can I just not expect it so I can have a boyfriend for the pandemic? And then once I need to do it, we keep it pushed. Like, come on now. But you know, life doesn't work that way. So I'm going to have to do this, you know, inner head and heart work, I guess. And, and I don't like that. I don't like, and wait until some, but like, I don't like it, but you know, Hey, that's the world we live in. So I'm going to have to just keep it pushing. <laughs> that's so hard mm-hmm. the triggering sentence for me is always like oh like you'll get it when you least expect it when you're ready like it'll happen to you and I'm like bitch you're Ugh, in a relationship I'm... and you're not ready for it like <laughs> oh, oh that part right and I said and you are and I said what makes you ready hmm? like oh come on like no and like even like the love they're like yeah I just like randomly commented on his picture and then he dm that doesn't work for me, babe. I can look like a hundred of his motherfucking pictures and he still ain't gonna follow me back. <laughs> so I don't, we're not playing on the same playing field. Here we are, both resonating with this. And one, you know, I hate being like, one day we'll look back and be like, eh. maybe we will, maybe we won't. But I know that we're both working on ourselves so that when someone does come along that is worthy of our time and energy, that we are also worthy of theirs. But I can't confidently say that I am worthy of somebody else's attention when I don't even know myself that well. So there's, it's a, it's a double-sided sword at this point. And there's a lot of like spirituality and even like meditations that are talking about like, you know, know that the person who's meant to find you is seeking you and you're seeking them. And that gives me a little bit more comfort than like, you gotta wait until you're not like, you know what I mean? Like, I can feel a little bit better knowing that I am doing the head and heart work for that person who is hopefully doing the head and heart work themselves, but we just haven't found each other yet. So that brings me a little bit more peace than that other bullshit. (laughs) Have you watched A Good Place? Yes, absolutely. I forget the quote, but it's something like soulmates aren't found, they're made. Mm -hmm. Uh, That got me. Because I even think about the person I was before the pandemic and it's that was like maybe what like 10 months ago and like that doesn't seem like a long time and even though I know that I've changed a lot I could not imagine even me dating myself at that time I'm like who the fuck like ew ew what but at that time I felt grounded I felt like I was you know doing what I needed to so I'm sure that there are blind spots to my experience and journey right now that make me unfit to be in a relationship right now. And I am going to come from a point where I'm lucky that someone's not coming into my life when I'm not ready. And I'm going to have to experience a two week relationship that's going to end up leaving me more hurt than we started. So I'm again, doing this work so that when I do find someone I want to be in a relationship with, it's going to be a fruitful one. It's going to be one that either goes on for a long time or can teach me a valuable lesson without having to break my heart in the process that we can be mature about it and communicate um so yeah 
hopefully, you know, fingers crossed over here. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know about not having heartbreaks. <laughs> oh, you know, we gonna, we gonna try. You know, you would think, you would think someone who's never been in a relationship wouldn't have heartbreak. And I'm over here like, <laughs> like, like, can, like, can we just keep that for relationships then? Like, I don't know why y'all fucking with me if you don't want to be in a relationship. Like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do it. Just don't do it. But, you know, <sighs> the journey continues. Yeah. Talking a little bit more about your dance and cre- creative journey, this is a sentiment that I've been having and I don't know if you share the same one where I was like oh yeah sure I'm gonna try and create for myself and then I like did try to choreo choreo a piece and then I tried to do it without looking at the mirror oh my god (laughs) it was was just it was so bad no Um, no like I just feel like I have like my expectations up here because I tend to do other people's choreography really well. Mm. And like, yeah, that's something like I, you know, I was like really proud of. But at the same time, now I'm thinking like, damn, like, why was I so proud to like copy other people? (laughs) Um, No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then um, when I did my own choreography, it's like, oh, okay, I have these expectations in my head of like what I should be looking like because I should look like myself when I'm taking other people's classes, but I look like that because I'm copying other people. So like that side of me is like based off of other people. And then when I'm creating by myself, it's like, oh, (laughs) that wasn't fully realized. Anyways, I think my question (laughs) is just like, like, you know, the idea of like creating for yourself sounds like it's really fun and like really easy. Do you find that the case? And, you know, like what's your process like currently? Absolutely not. Okay. So for me personally, I'm a performer. Like that is what I love about dancing the most. Like I can take class after class after class and learn about and like I fully can acknowledge the the value in that and also why people continue to do it like even past going to dance classes amidst a pandemic there's some people that need to train 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 and that is their love for dance that's not my love for dance my love for dance comes from performing and making the audience feel something that is what I love to do and that is how I create pieces. I think about the audience first. So I'm like, am I on a stage? Am I in a club? Am I performing for one person? How do I feel about this person? What is the message I'm trying to send? Like there's all those things I think about when I choreograph. So now when I choreograph for myself, I'm like, so I'm mentally performing for myself. This is lame as fuck. Like, and it sounds like wackadoodle-doo shit right now, but like the only way I am able to make pieces in a pandemic is if I imagine that I am either performing this on a stage or I am, I have to create an invisible audience for me to perform for, or else it does not work for me. And I think I didn't figure that out until midway through the pandemic. So I was like, I hate dancing. I'm going to quit. Like, I guess I don't love it as much as I thought I did. 
And I went through that whole process of like, I'm a fraud. Like, I'm not even a dancer. Like, what the hell is this? And then it wasn't until I started making these pieces and it was like, what are you motivated by? Like, why, why do you make pieces or why would you put that in this, in a set? Or like, what was your goal when you were choreographing this? And it was like, because I wanted to hear the audience at this part, because I knew that at this part of the set, my members would be tired and they needed something to push them. So I needed the audience to help as well. So I would plant certain things strategically for the audience that could either help the members or that I could make them react in some type of way. And that's usually stage pieces or even for class, like uh, depending on the studio I was teaching at, I would choreograph differently or it was very based on performance. So it's this process has been tough because essentially with the pandemic, our opportunities to perform have been dwindled down to absolutely fucking nothing. Like, and even, you know, even you were saying in class, you have that sense of like, you know, you're performing it kind of similar to somebody else you know, or you're copying in that way. And for me, that's a completely different narrative for me, because I always had to stand out. So I never did anything like the choreographer to a fault to uh, to a point that it was like, are you doing the combo still, bitch? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I had to figure out like, I need to I need to pull it back. And I need to figure I need to figure my entire life out. So I think I think that process of me treating class as a performance, that is why I like select groups is because essentially I'm performing in front of my friends, I'm performing in front of these people. And that is what I loved about it. It wasn't the training or it wasn't, you know, me figuring out that I could do this better. Like that happened in turn because I took so many classes, but at the end of the day, performing is what I loved and that stems back from when I wanted to be like a Cirque du Soleil performer like that is why I felt so connected with dancing past gymnastics because I already had that like performer mindset so that is why creating pieces now is very very tough for me because I either am in the mood to fucking have Foster's home of imaginary friends in this bitch and then I choreograph a piece or I'm gonna have to just fake that I'm preparing for a performance and try to do it that way but that usually leaves me in a more empty place than we started especially within the pandemic so it's very very tough emotionally for me to even try to do this process but yeah Mm. yeah that sounds (laughs) creating for yourself is honestly so much harder than it sounds so tough it's so tough and also because you already know, like, we're our own worst critics. So it's like, damn, we like, ew, like, are the thoughts in my head for real? Because that's also part of validation is kind of calming those thoughts of, or even imposter syndrome that we all essentially deal with more so now in the pandemic, because we're, we're rusty. Like we haven't been training how we need to. So of course, when we try to get back into it, we're like, bitch, where's your stamina? You're rusty mm-hmm. as hell, blah, blah, all these things. And then posting on social media and having people say, oh my God, this is dope, blah, blah, whether it be genuine or not. And when it, and it's mostly not, it's mostly not. Um, mm-hmm. That is what kind of calms those thoughts. So that is why it's so important for me now to like rewire my brain 
because if I don't learn how to be kind to myself, I will never make it out of here. Like that's just, it's, it's, it's as simple as that because I'm going to have to figure out a way to not get validation in order to calm those thoughts. And those thoughts come up very much when you choreograph for yourself, because that's just the process that we all go through. So, yeah. Have you discovered a way to like find inner validation? Honestly, I thought I did. I thought I did like to the point, but I don't think in a, in a dance sense, no, in a dance sense, no, because where I create from is so vastly different right now, but my body has not caught up from when I was training before the pandemic. So I still want to do the aggressive, like you did me wrong and fuck you type of movement, but that's not where my heart is. So I feel Mm. it's hard to create from a spot because I don't know what it's like to reveal that side of me in a creative way that both helps me be proud, but also fulfills the role that other people think I should be, which again, we're working on, but my body's kind of stuck in 2019 because I was the peak of where I was at, but my soul is way different from there. So trying to create seems like it's butting heads right now. And I don't know dance wise, if I want to go back to the powerful part, or if I want to see where this is leading me. And I think that there can be a nice marriage of both, but you know, that's the, that's the journey that we're going on. So I feel like it's a little bit tough because my body and my mind aren't synced up when it comes to dance for sure. Mm. That's a hard question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Probably have Mm -hmm. to figure out. (laughs) I'm going to end, end quickly and ASAP because I don't like it. I don't like it. Well, in terms of performing, I'm definitely like the opposite of you. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Dance is like my form of escape, like Mm -hmm. away from judgment, you know? So it's like, I, I like don't like to be watched or like for the longest mm-hmm. time it was like I don't like to be watched because I just want to like be in this little safe space like by myself mm-hmm. so like being able to like dance in my room like in a pandemic it's actually has actually been like really like enlightening for me um Love that. and yeah. then once I feel safe dancing here then I can go outside and perform otherwise right. I feel so like inauthentic anyways mm-hmm. that's just like different (laughs) yeah but that's and I understand that too because I understand that a lot of my students or people that I end up teaching feel that way as well so I can't always come from the just imagine you're on stage or like just perform it now like I can't come from that space even though that's the most comfortable space for me so I completely understand that too but I had to take myself back as a choreographer or even as like a teacher and be like, okay, people don't learn in that same way or don't have that same experience when they do take class. So I feel that fully. And I think it's really interesting too to come from that perspective because always when I went to class, it was like, all right, I'm excited to perform. Like, how can I tweak it? Or like, and in a very like naive sense, like how do I get attention? Especially in the beginning of my dance career was more so like, how do you stand out? Or what do you, like, I I treated every single dance class like an audition, which I hate now that I look back. But I think, again, it's 
from my competitive gymnastics mindset, like it's more comfortable for me to see things as a competition or more comfortable for me to see things as I need to win this or I have to win class today to motivate me to work. But now again, that mindset, I like me even being able to identify that as a mindset is leaps and bounds for me because that was like embedded into my blood at that point. I thought that was just how everybody thought. So very interesting to hear that perspective as well. Yeah, I would say I'm competitive, but not that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it it runs real deep in here. Like it's, whew, we're working on it, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> I guess to move on a little bit to our next topic, or we can kind of talk about this as a segue. Like, what? How does your identity show up in dance? And I think now that you have like a better understanding of it, like. How can we build dance to be able to encapture people's identities, you know, because our dance community hasn't really done that? Wow, beautiful question. I guess in a very straight up or basic sense, I would say that me being Black and me being a female really translates into my movement, both with the struggle that you can see in the choreography and and not in like a we're struggling to fight it's more it's more so the fight and I feel like how I related to how I am now in the pandemic is before through dancing I I know what it's like to fight for acceptance I know what it's like to fight for someone to care I know what it's like to fight for or earn your spot on a stage but I feel like right now instead of me fighting for dance I feel like I'm honestly like fighting for my life right now and that's because it's like my mental well-being. So I'm taking the same fight that I would put in choreography and put that into myself. So that's a whole different avenue that I feel like will allow my choreography to translate a little bit better now that I've realized that. But I guess I'll speak in terms of pre-pandemic, you know, how that translated into my my dancing. Obviously, the struggles that I went through of being oppressed, uh, not being able to be in spaces where I knew I belonged. I had to be unapologetic. That's how I had to be on stage. I could not walk on stage and doubt myself for a single second because that is that one second of doubt is what people would remember rather than the three minutes and 30 seconds that I did of absolute confidence. And I knew that. And I knew that because of the way that I was treated both in high school and in college that because of my skin color, one mistake is enough to ruin a lifetime of achievements. So I never had the opportunity to be scared. I have, I never had the opportunity to be, I guess, like doubting myself in other people's presence. And that is why I did it so much on my own is because I couldn't be authentic to myself on stage because I always had to have that bad bitch, I'm intimidating persona, even though that's not how I was all the time. That's not how I wanted to portray myself. But that is, again, same way, like in high school, that was the only lane I thought was available to me because of how I identified as Black. And even like, I felt, I felt kind of trapped as well, because I wanted to be more authentic to, how do I say, like my contemporary training or like that side of me that is a lot calmer, that is um, like, I would say in a different light than 
the full out portraying of myself, which most people know me for. But again, the stereotypes that I was placed into, I felt like that wasn't my lane. I had to stay in my box or else I wouldn't be valued. So I think I more so created out of fear that that persona was the only one that I could do. And I had to do it damn good every single time. And I had to reinvent what good looked like every time. Because if I did the same thing, I couldn't get away with it, but other teams could. I can't get away with doing a move twice. So if I do the same move, I need to either go lower, I need to put my leg up, I need to be in the air, I need to do something, I could never do a move twice. And the community definitely let me know that, that I couldn't repeat that. So I always had to push myself to elevate and elevate and elevate, which is what I'm known for. And I am proud of it, but there is also a side of it that um, makes me really sad that I couldn't um, express myself in that way. And I had to almost literally and physically break myself in order to maintain just a level of like averageness within the community. So I think that showed up in my movement, especially my closers. There's a lot of hurt and anger when you watch me in these pieces. And, you know, I explained a little bit about it at Decon too, but even though that is the movement that I am comfortable with, it's not all I can do and it's not all Black people can do. And it shouldn't have to take you oppressing a group of people for them to do well. Like you shouldn't have to put people down in order for them to finally get the strength to prove you wrong. You should allow them to make mistakes. You should allow them to branch out in whatever way you can and you should just be there to support them that should be where the community is at but I think that the community pushes people away to a point where they have to get revenge in order to become their best self and I think that's really toxic and I'm a full example of that and I am reworking that within my own life within me as a human with me as a creator but that was my identity within the dance community and though it, it it is part of who I am it's not all I am so I would like the community to like embrace it in a different way so like even like the black experience in the community needs to change because all these I talk to a lot of black leaders or aspiring black leaders and that are like hey like I know that you did your own thing and I had a couple questions and there's been multiple zoom calls or even facetimes that i've been on that they've asked me the question like it's not like how do you lead but it's like how do you deal with the community when they hate you and i have i'm equipped to answer that and it makes me so sad to give that advice of how to deal with other people putting you down even though they know that you're talented enough to rise up above it and then we'll take credit for pushing you once you get to that point I don't think that that is advice that needs to be passed down. And I, and again, that is why I actively fight to make sure that the community is stronger and safer. So that experience is not um, like a, a, it's it's like a story time that people tell of like the collective experience of, you know, getting shut out of something, knowing that you were good enough or talented enough to be there, but your skin color or the fact that you didn't speak up or the fact that, you know, you didn't wear cool clothes or like, you didn't fit in with that that group at the time that, you know, that was the reason why you weren't able to do that. And while that breeds so much 
creativity and like beauty in the community because of that struggle I don't think that should be the only story that's being told especially for minorities and people of color I, I don't I don't think that that's how it should be so again like I identify with that with that struggle and turning negatives into positives that is who I am and that is why it came out in my my work but as far as the community I don't think pushing people to that point should be the first step I, I don't think it should be a step at all um, and I see that happening in a generational sense. So I will do whatever I can to stop it. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm a little bitter, I guess, that I didn't figure that out. It took a pandemic for me to figure that out, but I definitely was a product of almost like revenge oppression when it comes to like me proving people wrong. It wasn't for me. It wasn't because, you know, I know I can do like I knew I could do it. But the reason I wanted to do it is to make that person feel like shit when they saw me on stage. And that's not the place I want to come from anymore, at, at least. So, yeah, I hope that was a long way to answer, but I hope that kind of touched a couple points. Yeah. Uh, revenge is so hard. Mm hmm. I've, I've been listening to like Hidden Brain and they were like, oh, like when you punish people or when you come from a place of revenge, it gives you like a short term like spike of uh, dopamine. And so like you actually feel ple pleasure from punishing people. But like forgiveness is like the long, yep. hard road. <laughs> yep. And it sucks. Forgiveness sucks, but I have seen how forgiveness transforms relationships and connections and lives and I cannot deny the power of forgiveness and grace and I would rather come from that place than a place of revenge no matter if it gets me trophies like if revenge gets me trophies I do not want trophies anymore and that is something that I could not have said a few months ago for sure for sure yeah I think this is something that I've also realized like two weeks ago which is also mm -hmm. why like this is really personal but like Mm -hmm. I had a sexual assaulter I would say mm -hmm. or like emotional manipulator and for the longest yeah. time I like you know dealt with it for the past three years and then I thought about it and I was like I think like I'm not gonna for forgive you in the sense that like everything is okay but I recognize that like you you know were dealing with your own shit and nobody knew what the fuck they were doing. So it was many mistakes and some of them were intentional, but like, I'm going to forgive you because I think by forgiving you, it gives me um, better acceptance of myself as a human being. Beautiful. Beautiful. But like, ah, it was so hard to do. Beautiful. Like, and it really sucks that we have to go through that extra work when we were the ones that were wronged in that sense. Um, but again, like you said, it is for your own personal freedom. Like your personal freedom is more valuable than you holding on to that grudge, even though you are right. And it seems so like unnatural to do that, but it really does help. And like, one, thank you for sharing that. And two, I felt that we are really on some similar wavelengths, like really, but <laughs> you know, not going into too much detail, but um, I was asked by a team in SoCal to give a lecture in a few weeks about, you know, social injustice, sexual harassment, and all these things. And 
my first experience with sexual assault was somebody who was on that team. So now I'm going to have to go back and really like forgive myself in that space and forgive that situation in that space because I know that this team, I know that I can help make the community stronger and safer by just coming from a more forgiving place to talk to these people because they had nothing to do with what happened. And my own narrative has definitely jaded my thoughts on this team because of what happened to me. But now that I'm in this spot, I don't want to come from a place where I make that person feel bad or I make them feel bad for not knowing and make them feel like you were able to foster that environment. I'm not making it about me, but I know that I am in a spot where if I do not forgive this person or I do not at least get to a point where I can come from a good heart posture, that that opportunity is wasted. So I am in the same, and it's a lot, it's like a lot of coincidences. It's more so like if I had gotten that call or if I had gotten that ask a few months ago, I would have been planning how to out this motherfucker in front of the entire team and make him feel like shit. But that's not the point. I'm there to talk to them about how to make the community safer. And I know that there are a lot of very, mm, I know that that team is very much full of straight cis men. So me being able to talk to them, and if I am able to get through to them in any way, then I am in the I am doing the right thing. But this obstacle is something that I need to figure out and being forgiving, not not to get an apology, not to get any validation in that sense. But for me to move on, it's so necessary. So I'm going to have to go on that journey within the next two weeks for sure. Wow, that's that's so yeah. much. Yeah, oh definitely, definitely cried a lot over the past few days on it. But I know that I wouldn't like I there's also like so much joy that I have because I know I would not have been given that opportunity if I was not strong enough to handle it. And I know I was not strong enough to handle that a few months ago and I would have come from a different place. So I know that I'm in the right place to do it. And I know that I'm strong enough, but I'm going to have to just do a little bit of extra work within the next two weeks to make sure that I can be kind to myself. And I am not the one that suffers from still helping these people. So tough, tough shit, tough shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are such 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 a powerful person i can't like that's amazing oh, no thank you for sharing of course that. and thank wow. you for sharing because it's it these especially when you are dealing with sexual assault or even emotional manipulation which is a full thing like people really don't put uh weight on emotional ma- manipulation but i also think emotional manipulation stays with you like almost as long And it really does mess with your psyche. It really does mess with the way you view yourself. And even if that person isn't in your life in any capacity, the things they said or the way they made you feel last for years and years and years. So I want to make space for that as well, because that is something that I have dealt with, like in these types of situations that don't seem like they mean a lot, but they really do have lasting effects. and. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So thank you for sharing that for real. I think as a society in mm-hmm. general, we like have not really dived into just how important emotions oh. are. I remember like a tangent, but like 
I remember seeing Inside Out for the first mm-hmm. time and I was just like, mm-hmm. how did I not get to see this as a kid? Right. Like, Imagine if we saw that as chill. Oh my God. Right. Right. Oh I know, my like, God. Even growing up and like learning psychology in high school or college, it was still like logic and rationale are the way to go. Mm-hmm. Like if you have emotions, you're crazy. That was like the narrative for the that longest part, time. That part. And yeah, it's just, it's really, it's really detrimental because really, when you really think about it, the whole reason why we have emotions in the first place is because, you know, natural selection made us that way. So it's like, must be helpful some Mm way. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, I think two more questions, one about the community and the others about decon so we can get like the deets. The first question, because I think this is a really hard one and something that I've been thinking Mm -hmm. about for myself as well, that in to build a safer, more inclusive community that centers human beings, that ultimately is a long, long game. And honestly, I don't even know if there's like an end point to it. But what would you say is like a short term checkpoint or checkpoints that you want to see within like a year? Well, we're already dropping the ball. (laughs) <laughs> we're already dropping right we're already <laughs> yeah. dropping the ball but something that I would want to see as a checkpoint is when teams do start having auditions when they do start recruiting new people or you know trying to build whatever they're building now that these zero tolerance policies are more ready and available to the public during the audition process more so as a, if you do not at least acknowledge these things, then do not even bother auditioning. But teams are still too scared to do that. And that, again, once BMO comes back, that is something that's the first thing that's going up is the zero tolerance policy. And if you agree and consent to this, then you can go ahead and apply. But if you have a problem with any of these, BMO is not the team for you. I think that that is something that is so easy to do that teams can do right now, that they don't have to wait years, they don't have to wait to get advice, they don't have to wait, they can, because nobody can tell you what you won't stand for. Nobody can tell you what you really think is valuable. So zero tolerance policies come from the heart, they come from personal experience, they come from things that you've witnessed or want to make sure never happen on your watch. And that doesn't take a professional to tell you how to do that. It's more so how to maybe frame it or how to maybe word it. But the basis of a zero tolerance policy should be almost instant to name. And sadly, many individuals still can't say the things that they won't stand for, much less the teams that they lead. So I think that th- that would be the first thing in it is is making zero tolerance policies more ready and available and making it like a non-negotiable. It's almost something that needs to be the first thing to go up before you give information about what Zoom class is going to be piece number one. Like especially online, that is something that needs to be cleared up and more so vigilantly because you aren't able to be there in person to show them like, hey, yeah, this is the type of environment we have. And these are the things that you're going to participate in. And you can't judge from the way that they interact, how they feel. So you're going to have to let them know with that zero tolerance policy that that is, these are the baselines of what we won't accept. 
And if you don't accept those things either, then we can go ahead and, and go more so towards the dancing. And I think I want the community, and I don't think that this is going to happen, but I would want the community to put dancing second because right now dancing is still first, especially in the community. That's not what we need right now. And I'm not saying that it always has to be this way, but in order to rebuild, it has to switch. And until we collectively make that switch, it won't happen. So again, it is a long game. And unfortunately, I feel like something very tragic needs to happen in order for everybody to get on the same page. And that is why I do the work that I do, because I don't think something tragic needs to happen for us to start talking about activism. I don't think that something like, you know, belligerent needs to happen in the dance community for us to talk about hip hop history and why that matters. Like I, we don't need, you know, something terrible to happen to a dancer for us to finally start talking about mental health and why safe spaces are available. So if the community could just put dance second for a little bit, maybe for a year, as we should have been doing in a pandemic. That is the short-term goal that is now looking like a long-term goal, but I, you know, in a perfect world, but, you know, we do what we can. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the obstacle that's preventing people from either putting out zero tolerance policies or like not putting dance second? Because the general public shares their views on why dance should just be not political. So they won't get a huge number. They're still obsessed with, I want to have a huge team. And again, a lot of it does come with the profit over people. The more people you have on the team, the more money that you can get. Or, you know, your mother organizations require you to have a certain number of people. So, you know, you need to reach that capacity. Yeah, it is about money and it is about the fame and the clout of it because, you know, posting a zero tolerance policy, no matter how inclusive it is, is it the most attractive thing? Uh, when you're trying to appeal to people that don't understand either what has gone on in the past year with the dance community and why it is so needed, or they aren't going into the dance team for the reasons why you should want to be on a dance team. They go more so for the fraternity sorority feel, but that is also why we are approaching the things that we are approaching with Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, and even COVID with everything that's happening on college campuses is that fraternity sorority feel is still what collegiate dance teams are based on. And it's hypocritical for the leaders to be like, oh my God, yeah, like zero tolerance policy, but also you're gonna have to pay $150 to go to Big Bear Leader where we're gonna make you drink and we're gonna also make you feel uncomfortable. So there's a balance that these leaders still haven't figured out, but it's also because they're not willing to let go of the potential members that don't want to be on the team for the right reasons. But that is the exact reason why we need to do that because we do not need more fraternities and sororities in the dance community. We don't. And at this point, you can make a fraternity and sorority and do that on your own, but don't use dance as a way to socialize and peer pressure people that way. So, and those teams are still fully based in that and aren't willing to take a break and step back and be like, this is not the time for us to be operating right now when not only the world is crumbling, but the community is. So yeah, I think I think it's just, you can't make a profit if your team's not running. You can't make a profit if you, know, you don't have anything to show for. Um, and that is something that people aren't willing to lose, even though they risk hurting the culture at the same time. 
something that I was just listening to this this week. I like mentioned it to you, but um, it's Brene Brown on like the infinite and finite mindset. And in in it too, it also talks about building teams. Mm. So I think something that people don't realize is that like dance is very comparable to like any other organization or like businesses because, you know, it is a business. Anyways, and the guy that was a guest that I forget his name, Mm -hmm. he said that, you know, honestly speaking, like, teams cannot be families because in a team you have to put the team and the culture first but in the family you're always loyal to the people and if we keep if we keep thinking about um a a team as a family we're gonna want to keep the toxic people in our teams and then we won't want to let them go yeah and I think that's like while it's kind of hard to hear because even for himself he's like yeah like it's really hard for me to like come to terms with that and, you know, in, in the dance community where it's all about like community and family, you know, like that word gets gets thrown out a lot, honestly, in a dance community. It's something that I feel like dance leaders have to hear. Like have to have to. We're not family. No, I'm sorry. We're not. Family. We're not. But like straight up, straight up. And, and the masking of that. Oh, like we're family and we'll do anything for each other is killing us. It really is because when you think about it, like you love your family so much. And even if they do something shitty, you will protect them. That is what family is. And you know that like, God forbid something terrible happens with one of your family members, but you're still sitting there. Like there's a part of me that wants to help them. And that has space to give them that grace. But when things like this are happening so abundantly in the community, the space for grace that each individual person can have is hindering the growth of the community little by little by little by little. And that needs to be erased quickly and immediately if we want any change. I feel like this is going to get some shit, but it's fine. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I hope, and that's why if you are listening to this sweet listener and you have something to say about it, you can hit my line. My DMs are open and we can definitely chat about it but also realize that we're probably going to be chatting on zoom because we're still going to be in a pandemic by the time that you hear this so take that into consideration because things haven't changed for a reason so yeah Mm. post-production justine here but i just wanted to add that we could either rethink our definition of what family means because family doesn't have to mean that toxic I'm gonna forgive you for everything and excuse you meaning um or we can redefine what a dance team really means and stop referring to it as family and so that is just something uh to consider and like why I even brought this up in the first place is to really think about the difference between a team a culture and a family and if all of those things should be similar or should be different. That's that. Anyways, okay. <laughs> to end this podcast mm-hmm. on like a kind of brighter yeah. note, um, let's talk a little bit about Decon 4 Ooh. and how it contributes to your long-term goals of building a better and safer community. Yeah. Um, so, well, the program that we're doing in February, which is now going to be a month ago now that you're listening to this in March but for me it's in a few weeks I want the theme of the second program is um Avatar the last airbender and the reason why I picked that is because for Aang he's an airbender 
and he's very skilled in that. But in order to save the world, he needs to master all four elements. That's the same thing that I feel with the dance community is to be a safe and strong member. You could be very, very focused in dance training and that is great. But until you master all four elements, you will not be able to create a safe environment. So somebody could be very, very skilled in hip hop history, but in order to actually be able to influence people of every race, skin color, gender, live like living situation, financial uh, like um, abundance that they have, you need to master these four elements or you won't be able to see from a perspective that isn't yours, a perspective of always being a student because we're always students no matter where we're going. But that doesn't mean that we cannot master the elements. Just because you master the elements doesn't mean you go teach them, but you can absolutely master them to a point that you can be certain that when you share this information, you can share it in a knowledgeable way. That is how the community is going to be safer. But if we just keep focusing on dance training, we keep focusing on one thing at a time, we go nowhere. So that is my want with the program is to hopefully spawn a bunch of avatars that, you know, can save the world with these four elements and not just one, even though the different people in the program may specialize in different elements strongly once they enter the program, but hopefully once they exit, they have mastered a little bit more of the four elements. And the four elements are things that I have personally had to dive into individually during the pandemic, not by choice, but by need, because that is the role that I was thrown into as a black female leader going into a pandemic these things like dance training in the beginning of the pandemic, we were all stressing, like, what steezy class are you taking? What I do, like, there was that whole craze of I need to train, I need to train. Then obviously, we went into the urban dance conversation where we are understanding why hip hop history is important. And then we also had everything happen with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. So we now realize why activism is so important. The Me Too movement, why activism is so important. COVID, why activism is so important. But through that, trying to hone in on that skill, my need for mental health and safe spaces did not come out of choice, but it came out of need or else I wouldn't have been able to do jack shit. So I knew that I had dived into all four of these elements very, very deeply at different times. So this was also a way for me to include them for myself. I would never do a program that I would not want to be a part of. And I felt like I didn't have to be a master at all elements in order to give this knowledge. I am a master in one of those, but I can bring, you know, people of different areas to help me in it and in hopes that they can master it as well. So that's kind of how we're trying to push the program. Yes, I love that. I don't know if you're allowed to share this, but mm -hmm. besides having a program, mm -hmm. is there anything else that you want to do? Well, I'm <laughs> I'm trying to do a podcast. So hopefully, um, Jesse will be a guest on that. I'm Please be a guest on it. Of course. Um, of course. Yes, that is definitely, I mean, that is coming from my failed YouTube blog career in high school, definitely. Um, it's coming from, you know, I just talk a lot. I talk a lot and I talk a lot about different things. And the want for the podcast came from almost that imbalance I was talking about earlier that I felt like you know, if somebody was able to disrespect me in a personal sense, I would be like, ah, that's totally fine. But in the sense of dance, I would take it 
to heart or I would take it a little bit strongly. But if I flip that around, that was the reason why I wanted to build a podcast is I didn't want to have to earn the right for people to know things about my childhood or know things about my past. I didn't want to have to become a celebrity for people to find out why I am the way that I am. So I crafted kind of that space so I could you know, be more so of a human in the in the dance community rather than just a choreographer. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, love that. Yes. Okay, yes. we're nearing the end, so I'm yes. gonna ask you the really quick question. So yes. just say anything. Rapid fire. Let's go. Right. Yes. Okay. What's a song that's been on repeat recently, and why? I'm so embarrassed. Kiwi by Harry Styles. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed, but I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to hold you. That song makes me feel so sexy. I don't know what I, 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 and again, we were talking about this earlier. Like if I can feel sexy on my own, maybe it has to come from Harry Styles, but like, I don't know why that song, it has like a rock and roll feel to it. And it just, I don't know. I don't know. It really, yep. That's what I play in the car today. So yes, that's, the kiwi okay. by i'm gonna go listen to that oh my god right you're gonna judge that. me so hard but you know what fuck it yeah i like that song. I really <laughs> do. It, it brings a smile to my face when i listen to it <laughs> okay mm-hmm. something that you had to unlearn in the past year in like a couple of words something i had to unlearn hmm wow this is kind of deep for no reason but i had to unlearn that the notion of I eat when I'm bored. Um, I found out that I eat when I feel unsafe and I eat when I don't feel protected. So yeah, that is something very huge that I learned recently. Cause I would always say like, I eat when I'm bored, I eat when I'm bored. But like, I've been very bored in this pandemic, but there are very specific times when I choose to eat a lot or do a, a lot of that. So I've had to kind of unlearn the notion that I'm bored all the time, but more so the scarier notion of uh, more so I feel unsafe more than I think that I am Oof! Yeah. wow was not <laughs> expecting that yeah. at all yeah okay what's one moment that you can think of that brings you joy the first call for decon the first Sunday call I was so nervous and I was like I don't know if I'll e- even be able to talk for an hour and maybe I'll just introduce myself and they'll just look at me and be like, cool girl, like, see you for class tomorrow. Like, I I was so nervous. And I think it's also the first time that I have, like, self-proclaimed myself as an educator. Like, it wasn't somebody asking me for my Black experience or for something. It was more so, like, I am putting faith in myself that I am knowledgeable about these things or I'm in a spot where I can even educate people about these topics and knowing that people were paying money for this. I felt like if I don't put on a show, if I don't please them immediately, then they're going to all drop out. But it was such like a loving and creative and beautiful space. And I felt so seen by people that I just met. And it, I don't know, that was an immediate happy and joyful moment for me. Yay, I'm so yeah. glad. Decon yeah. definitely brought so much joy to me. Like, oh. uh, 
you're amazing. All those people were amazing. And like, honestly speaking, like if you didn't even like if you didn't provide that kind of space, like I'm sure it would have mm-hmm. been completely different. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much once again. Wow. Okay. Last two. Complete okay. the sentence. Dance is. Dance is how I express myself without worrying what people are thinking when I do it. Love that. Yeah. And then lastly, I am. Learning and growing and teaching at the same time. Yeah. Period. Period. Okay. And then to end it all, I mm-hmm. really want to bring awareness to an organization that's yes. working towards a cause that you care about. Yes. So let us know what it is and where we can find them. Yes. Uh, Black Women for Wellness LA. This is the one that I did for DCON. It's um, a black, uh, all-female run um, organization that cares about or makes efforts to educate Black girls and young adults about sexual health about um, a lot of the things that aren't marketed to Black women because of the stigma that Black women are aggressive or they're not sexy or sexual, but that in that process harms a lot of Black women with them being unprotected, not knowledgeable about these types of things. And they also do a lot of beautiful work in the education system. Um, So yes, I'm going to find their website because their, their website is beautiful so it is let me pull this up right now it is bwwla.org so yes and they do a lot of beautiful wonderful um, outreach and fundraising but uh what really caught my eye was uh the portion about educating young black girls on sexual health or especially they have like a article like products that are falsely marketed to black women or that are not adjusted for black women because in the dance industry we all know like that common like ballet myth that black girls don't have the right skin color uh tights or they have to paint their shoes because the manufacturers don't make that color things like that so if i had known that that was something systemically being put on me i would have been like what but i thought that was just normal like because I was black and that was a curse. I had to work harder to become white and therefore I had to do these things. So that's very deep to me. So finding an organization that is working to actively combat that and also they're all female run. So always supportive for that. So yeah. Love that. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you so much for that whole conversation. I learned so much and it was so great to have I took away so much from that conversation. Danielle is someone who always inspires me with her authenticity and her vulnerability. And I really appreciate her opening up the way that she did on this podcast and also just always on her platform. Whether it is her joy or her anger, I really feel blessed to be able to see a human being living her best life. So thank you so much, Danielle. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that conversation was insightful to you as well. And I hope to catch you in my following episodes in the next coming weeks.